Guess who's back on the podcast with me, Travis Knight. And boy, do we have a cool topic to discuss today, flywheels. Now, admittedly, I had never heard of a flywheel in this context before Travis brought it to my attention, which, let's be honest, is the norm. But whether you're like me, living under a rock, or well-versed in the concept, I think you're going to find this episode very applicable. We go into not only what a flywheel is, how to identify them in many different domains, but also how to build your own. And just so we're clear, to all my strength coach friends, we aren't building any isoinertial equipment in this episode. So without further ado, let's jump right into my dramatic introduction of the flywheel. Don't worry, you'll see what I mean soon. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Ride the Gray, a podcast about lateral thinking in which we actively seek new ways to learn about complex and dynamic systems. Thanks for listening. Let's dive right in. Picture a huge, heavy flywheel, a massive metal disc mounted horizontally on an axle, about 30 feet in diameter, two feet thick, and weighing about 5,000 pounds. Now imagine that your task is to get the flywheel rotating on the axle as fast and as long as possible. Pushing with great effort, you get the flywheel to inch forward, moving almost imperceptibly at first. You keep pushing, and after two or three hours of persistent effort, you get the flywheel to complete one entire turn. You keep pushing, and the flywheel begins to move a bit faster. And with continued great effort, you move it around a second rotation. You keep pushing in a consistent direction. Three turns. Four. Five. Six. The flywheel builds up speed. Seven. Eight. You keep building. Nine. Ten. It builds momentum. Eleven. Twelve. Moving faster with each turn. Twenty. Thirty. Fifty. A hundred. Then at some point, breakthrough. The moment of the thing kicks in your favor, hurling the flywheel forward, turn after turn. Whoosh. Its own heavy weight working for you. So this was Jim Collins from Good to Great, his book, and he's talking about the flywheel effect. Jim Collins is somebody, Travis, I know that you've read and enjoy talking about. So why don't you introduce him a little bit more? Sure. Yeah, the, uh, the connection with Collins is in some of the conversations that I have that are not um, just with our staff or people in our profession end up inevitably kind of being people who are involved in business. They started businesses or they're currently um, working their way up in a business. And so this is uh, Collins is somebody who's come across my radar multiple times as somebody who's a must read. And uh, but good to great was a huge bestseller. And it was basically taking uh, a lot of research and a lot of studying what made companies uh, that were not just made to flip them, but were built to last a long time. Why were these businesses so successful and distinct? And it seemed that they were really connected to some of these big ideas like his flywheel effect. So what is the flywheel effect? I mean, I kind of described a flywheel, right? And Mm -hmm. what happens when it starts moving. But, you know, for me, I'm not necessarily a mechanic. I don't deal with flywheels on a daily (laughs) basis. Maybe you can um, elaborate what he actually is trying to portray by giving this visual. Yep. Yeah. You, in the opening, you described, uh, this massive wheel and, uh, and, you know, as you start to do research, you kind of see that they're everywhere. They're huge with engines to help them keep momentum going. We do see them in the weight room because we use some inertial resistance, um, with some of the equipment that we have. 
And, uh, but essentially is it's kind of more of an image of a model that you're supposed to just kind of take away the idea that things, once you get them rolling in the right direction, they should naturally organically produce, um, more and more favorable out outcomes and output. And really take a lot of that initial thrust that you, that was required to get it moving and, and really allow you to not have to keep expending that same kind of energy endlessly. So a positive feedback loop, I think is one way to describe it. Um, and there's an idea that there's an increased payoff relative to the effort expended. So maybe in the beginning, there's a lot of effort to a little payoff, but as it gets in motion, there's a great deal of payoff um, relative to um, the, the amount of expenditure. And so like, I know a question that I've been thinking about for a long time, especially related to this was how do you make a little bit of coaching go a long way with an athlete? versus a whole lot of coaching, only getting them a little bit of progress. Um, that, that was a very real world application in my mind. Have you what, figured that, that out? What, what were, yeah, but I'm not going to release that for free. <laughs> no. Well, I thought maybe I could catch you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the stuff we talk about all the time, right? I mean, um, but yeah, were there some other examples that you had thought about or read about of flywheels? Well, yeah, well, what I liked about the flywheel, right, is I think what what I see is, and a lot of us see, is that when there's success in an organization or with an athlete or really any time in life, the third-party observer typically just sees that success and they're like, oh, it just happened, right? There was mm-hmm. no inciting incident or push. Like I think of a chicken hatching from an egg. And, you know, here's this egg. And then one day it's a chicken. Mm -hmm. The outside observer, you know, they think, wow, this is this incredible breakthrough. Here it is. The chicken is here. It came from nothing yesterday. It was just an egg. Whereas if you look inside as the chicken, right, like it's these little imperceptible almost changes as it's growing day by day. And then, yes, one day it does finally break out. But this is the concept of the flywheel. It's like these little incremental advances that build on each other over and over and over again until finally, yes, there is that one breakthrough that we ultimately end up seeing. And you can't simplify it to just that one thing because a flywheel inherently is a logic of momentum. And what I mean by that is it's not just a list of steps drawn in a circle. It's almost like this momentum is inevitable. After you get it going, you almost can't help but to keep it going. So if you do A, you almost can't help but to do B. It's like this current that's pushing you along. It's not some just trite, you know, I'm going to do A and that's going to lead me to B. No, like this is like something you can't stop once it's like a runaway train. We've talked before about complex and dynamic systems, and we've said, uh, I think the analogy we used before was that traffic, if you look at the roadways, that is more of a complicated system with a lot of different intersections, but like traffic flow is more of a complex system because what one person might do is going to affect the others positively or negatively. Um, and I think this is very similar. You cannot, you can't, let's say, 
there's five components to a flywheel uh, to make more money or to um, grow your company. It's not like you can just put them in a sequence that is uh, these parts that just build like an engine where they're each, each somewhat related, but they're just more like pieces that fit. It actually is um, like you were talking about the chicken and the egg. It has to be something that emerges. And then the byproduct of that becomes the um, almost Krebs cycle, if you will. It becomes the, um, the, the material that gets used in the next element. So it's, it's kind of like a, the byproduct of one initiates the stimulus for the next. I can't believe you just brought the Krebs cycle to this podcast. I love it. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's that's great. And it's a good segue into the first example, which I think will help kind of elucidate what the flywheel actually looks like in practice. And I think the the most well-known example is Amazon. So, okay, if we have this picture that we draw out on a piece of paper, it's a circle. And we start at the top with the first thing that Amazon did as a company, which was they offered lower prices on a lot of things. And what that did was it increased customer visits. And by increasing customer visits, that led to attracting more third-party sellers to the site, which expanded the store and extended distribution, which then grew revenues per fixed cost, which then, you know, it's this continuous cycle, right? And we can all kind of think about where these examples would pop up in our own life, but I'll give just another couple so that's pretty clear. But in business, let's think about Uber. So at first, Uber was probably really hard to get off the ground. Like the idea of getting a stranger's car and having them take you somewhere, crazy, right? But as it grew, there were more drivers, which cut down on the amount of wait time to find a driver that would pick you up which then increased the popularity of the service, which then got more users on. The more users meant more drivers, meant more people who could pick you up and take you to where you needed to go and et cetera, et cetera, right? But if you're not maybe a business mind, let me take a pause and think about something like basketball recruiting. So if you are an average team and one year, all the pieces fit together and you start winning, the next year, recruiting is going to get a little bit easier because all of a sudden you're going to be able to talk to these big recruits at tournaments and say, Hey, we were winning. Those recruits come to the school, more winning. Then you can go out and get the next best recruits. They create this culture of success at the program. You start to get more money into the program. Donors and boosters want to give money to the program, et cetera, et cetera. I think you're getting the point. Travis, are there any other examples that you like? Well, I was thinking actually, when you mentioned Amazon, do you remember, I don't know, maybe you do, or maybe you don't remember when Amazon was actually just a bookstore. Yeah, no, I do remember it, which is crazy compared to what they are now. Yeah. So, I mean, that flywheel, if it were applied to just books, but then expanding offerings meant more books initially, but then it became more offerings became, um, you know, I don't know what the next thing is. So let's say it's electronics, but and then that just leads to more and more and more expanded offerings. And that before you know it, they're offering everything under the sun, right? 
One interesting thing going off of that, that I heard about what makes a good flywheel versus a bad flywheel is for every additional customer or player or whoever's using your product is added, the experience must be improved. So to explain that, I'll give you an example of an anti-flywheel. So you think about a car mechanic. They have the ability to work on 30 cars a month, one car per day, let's say. Well, they do a really good job, right? More people are going to want to bring their cars to this mechanic. Well, this guy or girl, right? They've only got so much manpower and so much space in their shop. If suddenly 60 cars show up, that either means they have half the time to spend on each car or they do half as good of work. So what happens then? Shoddy work, less people give good reviews, less people bring their cars. That is the anti-fly rail. And we'll go into more of that later. But I think the salient point here is for a flywheel to be functional, for every person or unit or um, consumer that wants to use your thing, the experience must get better always. Yeah, I, that's that's a great point. Um, that, that's where I think about, um, well, let's just say the weight room and the weight room experience. Um, if that's a negative experience, even though there are certain outcomes that would be expected to come as a byproduct of the work that was done in there, if it was a negative experience, it's less likely to transfer positively to the end goal, which is to be a better team, better player, more wins, more, you know, that flywheel that you talked about with recruiting. And um, so there's, regardless of the, uh, the, the decisions of what we're doing in the weight room is if there is a, an inherent positive association to that experience that coming out of it leads to a more positive experience in the application of it. Um, that's what we, I guess we would say is buy-in too, right? We, there's a belief that what, what we did in the weight room helped what was on the court, which was what we ultimately wanted. That was our goal. Makes us, when we go back, more likely to have a positive experience because we believe in it or we believe it was, there was a relationship and, and, you know, that's only a two component flywheel, but there are other things that we could say along those lines that. I think that it comes down to results, right? Mm -hmm. Not always does it have to be a feeling that you feel better after you leave, but if that athlete can have a good result and they can make the, the tie between what they did in the weight room, even though it was hard and I didn't really like it to getting better, I still think you have your flywheel intact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sensing that there's a positive correlation between what we did and, and it getting me to what I want. How do you, how do you build a flywheel? Like, you know, we gave some great examples, but mm -hmm. I think we would be remiss if we didn't break down what goes into building your flywheel so that people can do this for themselves. Cause I know we've tried doing this and it's had a lot of um, impact on our lives. Yeah, it's definitely a, an exercise that takes some time, but it's also something that adds, can add a lot of clarity because I think, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that, um, 
I, I even talk to our players about it specifically early in the season typically is sometimes there is um, what looks like a lack of effort that may be more aligned with a lack of clarity. If you don't know where to be and what to do, um, you might be spending energy that's just wasted energy and it looks like we're not getting anything done. Um, and sometimes it is we have clarity, but we just don't spend the energy really giving full effort and energy to what the plan is. So I think the flywheel helps, helps us build our plan better. And then I think naturally we get some energy from it. First, you have to decide what do you want to build the flywheel for? Is this personal? You know, or is this how I want to spend my time uh, on a daily basis? Am I trying to figure out where do I put my time, money, or energy? Or is it work and business? Or is it, you know, what, what particular area of your, of your day in your life? And then whatever is associated with that. So if I'm building a team, I would look at all the players I've coached over the last five, 10 years. And I would see, all right, what are the commonalities between the players who never lived up to that projection that I had of what they could do or be? And then where are the players who just blew me away? I had written them off and they turned out to be great or they were great, but then I, they went on to even greater things. Um, okay. So then, let me stop you. So what I'm hearing you say is first you need to decide where in your life you want to build this flywheel. Mm-hmm. And then once you've done that, you need to create a list of the successes within that Mm -hmm. and maybe the failures or disappointments. And you're looking for common threads between those successes and those disappointments. And you're writing those things down. Right. So the the disappointments are definitely going to give you um, maybe even some insight into the opposite response that you might want to have. So sometimes you say, sometimes we learn as much by uh, our failures and what not to do as by what we should do. Um, so, so once you have this somewhat objective, uh, viewpoint of past history and you don't, you know, try not to have a preset, you know, uh, expectation in your mind of what, what are going to be the correlations, try to come at it at a, at a very objective viewpoint and just say, what are the dots that seem to be showing up more often on the positive side and on the negative side? Um, and your, your flywheel is going to be built based on what you find on the positive side. So that line is mostly just to de- delineate and make a distinction between. Um, and I've even done it with like a middle section that kind of is like, could go either way based on how you evaluated, like what you cared about, what 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 was the metric or what was the value? Okay. So you've got your maybe, you know, four to six things that are yep. under your success column. What mm-hmm. do you do with those to help you sketch your flywheel? Like how do you know where to start and how do you know which one's building on which? Well, then we have to essentially try to create a starting point, which because it's a flywheel and it's going to be going around in a circle and we know a circle really doesn't have a beginning and an end. Um, you do have to kind of um, originate what would be the thing uh, that, the, that would lead to, the, to a, the first byproduct that would start the process. You know, what, what is the most simple or earliest stage of this initiative? Um, so just to go back for Amazon, that was as a bookstore providing low prices on books. 
Yep. It was just price point. Right. So yeah. what would that be in the situation of, you know, successful teams or building a successful team? Um, well, you mentioned earlier recruiting. So it's, it's going to be, uh, attracting the right kind, like getting them on the bus, right. Getting the right people on the bus like that, that if you don't have that, that's going to be, you're not going to get a lot of momentum because there's going to be so much friction, uh, in a negative capacity. So I think getting the right people in place and then the next piece would be like just the commitment and, and, um, hard work that goes on to develop those people in the right direction. So probably the right people are going to be more committed naturally. They're going to be more hardworking naturally. They're going to be more, you know, it, you're not going to have to work as hard to take that group of people to do the, the hard work as you would if you picked a group that was on the bus did not want to work. Um, so the first two stages of that flywheel would be based on kind of the intrinsic motivation or alignment of the group, you know, as a whole. Um, I would say like if if we relate this back to our podcast, right? Like maybe the first step for us was having a conversation and asking big questions that we couldn't help but to have. Like we were so curious about certain concepts yeah. that I had to reach out to you or you had to reach out to me to talk about it because we were we had to share it. Like we were so excited by what we had just found out and how this could relate to our environment that we had to have this conversation and that was the catalyst for either exploring new questions, recording them, et cetera. Yeah. So whether questions came first or curiosity came first, which one fed, which one, I don't, I don't know. You could make an argument both ways, I think. Yeah. But then I would say that, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, that the combination of those two led to more research and more looking Right. And, and so I think this is why, and I love that process that you described. I think that's something that we could all go home and do right now. Um, or, you know, if you're not driving, you could pull out a piece of paper and do. But I think where this conversation is leading is, you know, at the end of creating your flywheel, we've talked about how you should compare it back to the hedgehog, mm-hmm. the hedgehog effect, right? I think it's the hedgehog effect. Maybe yeah. it's just the hedgehog. I don't know. This is just the concept. Yeah. It's just the, a concept. Yeah. So what is the hedgehog? Um, briefly, it's the intersection of three circles. Think like a, a tri-Venn Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. And the three circles are, in the first one, what are you deeply passionate about? Number two is, what can you be the best in the world at? And number three is, what drives your economic engine? So if you can create a list of things that fit each of those three categories or circles, and then you can find the couple that are in the intersection of all three, those should ultimately be tested against what you create your flywheel. And if your flywheel is separate or unrelated to your hedgehog, it's probably a sign that your flywheel is going to fall off the rails at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, so back to his early stuff, it was build, uh, built to last. And um, 
you know, some, some of these flywheels can be small, like just these initiatives, these, these branch off. We want to try this. We want to see if, um, if we want to build this product or if we want to push this line or if we want to um, add this piece of the puzzle and we want to test it out and we want to see, is it going to work? Um, but as far as like the bigger stuff, that's more uh, central to the organization or to uh, like your why of what you're doing, it has to be consistent with what, what gives you energy, what creates energy for you. And so if it's your passion, for sure, if it lays into your strengths and what you can be great at, it's going to feed, I think, the desire to do more of that. And you're going to really, because it's in your wheelhouse, you're going to be successful with it. And then ultimately, if it, if it drives that resource engine, um, then you're going to have more resources as a result of that to be able to feed back into the flywheel. So, and I would, I would argue that if your flywheel is not in conjunction with your hedgehog, you are prone to what you just said, but you know, also just the flywheel coming to a complete stop because Mm -hmm. let's say you have a disappointing result. Let's say you have a, a losing season and you know, you don't have a flywheel that's in conjunction with either what you're good at, um, what you're deeply passionate about, or what's driving your economic engine. Well, a disappointing result is very quickly going to probably lead to reaction without understanding. And this is part of the doom loop, right? So this is the anti-flywheel, if you will. What happens when the flywheel does not go well? Um, You know, a bad reaction without understanding leads to you know, new direction. Maybe you fire your coach. Maybe maybe you go in a completely different offensive scheme direction. You um, acquire a different company. You sell your stock, whatever it is, right? Then there's no buildup, no extent, uh, accumulated momentum, right? All of these things then build on each other to create literally the anti-flywheel or the doom loop. Mm-hmm. You want to expand on that? I just think because those things that you're doing are taking energy away from something else rather than feeding it into the same, uh, the same positive feedback loop. And it, it, it does, I think, speak to almost desperation or like uh, not having a, a really good solid plan. Um, like I, I think about with that flywheel, you're going to have enough inherent resistance when you have growth, because there's just going to be more money, more problems, more people to uh, manage, more resources, more things that could go south. So those things are going to be creating some natural resistance to a flywheel. So the internal flywheel itself has to be able to not only continue to grow, which requires energy, but also to, to overcome the speed bumps and the friction of daily Uh, stuff. So if we do have a good flywheel, you know, let's say we don't have that Mm -hmm. doom loop happening for us. What are ways that we can quote unquote grease our flywheel to make the system we have in place rotate and, you know, turn even more efficiently? Yeah. Uh, well, I think, you know, having ways that we can be reminded of the flywheel, the, the principles and components within inside of the flywheel. And 
so I think to um, when I was taking marketing in grad school that um, I remember hearing that the automotive ads that every time, especially when you watch a sporting event, it seems like they're every other commercial that they were designed not to necessarily sell you a new, new uh, Ford or Chevy, but to reinforce your belief that what you bought was the best. And so this kind of reinforcement through, I think sometimes we just try to make a big deal about what's going wrong and only pay attention to what's going wrong and only bring up those things. Um, but how often do we recognize and, uh, and bring up what's going, what, what's going right? You know, how often do we react super, very strongly if we lose because we didn't do certain, certain things right? But how do we spend that same amount of energy reinforcing the things that led to us winning and why we did well? Um, so I think, I think that could be just reminders. Yeah, no, I know. I love that. And before you move on, I wanted to um, mention maybe, you know, I, this just came to me. So I wanted to say it before I forgot it, but you know, another way to, to grease it would be to simplify the flywheel for the people in the organization. So mm-hmm. I don't think that not everybody needs to know the concept flywheel. I think everybody needs to know the components that are yes. making the flywheel turn. The simpler the flywheel and the simpler people in your organization can see what leads to what, which leads to what, the more they're going to buy into the process because they understand how the mechanics are working, right? Just like anytime you understand something, you're going to buy into it more. Yeah, totally. And I love how the flywheel seems to really get what both of us have, have said we really believe strongly in, which is you need to have intent and structure to create the environment. But ultimately the pursuit is to allow the environment to have emergence of things that are organic and things that are um, naturally energy producing because the right elements are in place for that to occur. And that flywheel seems like it's both. It seems like it's structure, but it also seems like there's a lot of organic emergence. What do you think? Absolutely. I think the emergency you're talking about is something that needs to be fed and you need to be aware of what's emerging and not be afraid to integrate that into your flywheel. So it's like, once you have a good thing going, if you recognize that there might be a part that you can add to your flywheel, add it. Like, don't be scared that it's going to potentially throw off your flywheel, feed the flywheel, feed the energy. Um, And if it is in line with all those other things, I think it'll fit seamlessly into your pattern. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think sometimes, you know, people are so if it ain't broke, don't fix it, that they almost don't want to know. They don't want to overanalyze why something's working. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it is really good practice that when things are really going well to uh, to to bring something like the flywheel into uh, your evaluation and just constantly consider, are these pieces uh, why were, were we right? Or did something emerge that worked even better than what we thought? And we should actually tweak it to reflect that. Or can we eliminate a piece of the flywheel Mm -hmm. that is slowing us down? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we were, maybe we were wrong about that, the sequence or the need for that. (laughs) 
we like to always touch on counterpoints or places where the topic or concept that we're talking about either falls apart or doesn't fit or is maybe wrong in some places. Mm-hmm. Where, um, where does the flywheel not work? Um, well, I have my thoughts. What, what do you think? Well, I think you touched on it just a second ago when you said, when it's not broke, don't fix it. And I think a flywheel inherently in my mind has this picture of when it starts going, it's like the runaway train that I mentioned earlier. And it's extremely hard to stop. And that energy it's going to take to stop it might be overwhelmingly difficult to produce. But sometimes, you know, you can have a flywheel that's going, but doing not great things right? Like not all positive, not all flywheels are positive and have positive results. You can have very negative, I'm sure, flywheels like the coronavirus, for example, you know, all of these compounding environmental things, climate change, for example, you know, I would imagine it's very hard to stop a flywheel once in motion and or change paths. And that would be where the flywheel breaks down for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know that this is a huge negative, but when you go to construct a flywheel, it really, really helps to have experience to draw on. And, you know, I think you could probably do that through researching other people's experiences too. So you don't have to be 20 years into this thing to figure it out necessarily, but the exercise we went through started out with like looking at your past failures and successes. And that that's part of discerning and and creating it. So, you know, you could probably start as an entrepreneur with no experience and build a flywheel, but I think you would be, it would probably take you more, um, more iterations than it would for somebody who's been doing it for a while. Um, Well, and going off of that, you know, it's a flywheel is very linear in the sense that once it gets on a track, it goes and goes and goes and goes, but in the same rotation or um, I would imagine plane of motion, is right? Flexible is it? You know, it's not very agile, right? So if you're a, a young startup and maybe you don't know what your flywheel is or you don't know the direction that you should be going because you don't know what's going to be successful yet, it's probably not beneficial to try to construct these elaborate flywheels. It's probably yeah. more like. Yeah, like you said, iterate, push a product out, see how it responds. And then once you have that feedback, you can make a list of successes and failures. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I could see where that iterative model would be more geared towards uh, a more uncertain environment. And maybe the flywheel is more geared towards something that you already know and you're trying to just take it to another level. Yeah, you're becoming trying to become even more efficient, which is I think what we're all. Yeah, good to great. Exactly, you're already got something good working, and you're just trying to make it uh, spin a little faster. So, in maybe closing and summarizing, does the flywheel relate to any of the concepts that we've talked about on other episodes of this podcast? Um, Well, you know, we talked about. We've talked about a lot of these ideas with complex and dynamic systems, which this is, I feel like this fits in that category. Uh, Would you refute that or agree with that or what? Yeah, I think 
it's a way of trying to conceptualize a complex system and frame it to understand how it's working and mm-hmm. to make it more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Cause I, I think when you build it more, when you tie observation into the construction, I think you are uh, leaning more towards the, the complex systems theory. Well, before you we, move on, yeah, can I, can I say, to be honest with you, when you first brought up the, the idea of flywheel to me, I was like, how is this going to relate to anything we've talked about? Because in my mind, the flywheel is anti-variation. It's anti-nuance. Mm-hmm. It's anti-differential learning. It's very much cognitive entrenchment. That's honestly the first thing that my brain went to was you're going really deep because you're building momentum in one area and you're going to be not be able to stop it. Right. So when you first brought this up as a concept, I was like, Travis, I don't know if that's something that mm-hmm. we want to talk about. I mean, like not talk about because we want to talk about everything, but if that's going to be in line with what we've made our mission of this podcast. Do you still feel that way or have you thought differently since? Not at all. I think it, it fits in. I think it's very different than mm-hmm. what we've talked about in the past, but I also think it it's like almost the later stages yeah. of what we've talked about. So, you know, initially there's a lot of variation. Initially there's a lot of autonomy and trying to induce yeah. Um, breaking a system to purposely make it stronger in the end. And this to me is a representation of all of those processes feeding off of each other in a integrated way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it's, it, you spoke to it really well that it can be at face value seem antithetical to what we've been trying to, I don't want to say promote, but what we've been Bring, what we've been um, saying we think is really good concepts and works really well. This seems like it goes in a different direction, but in actuality is if we really understand it, it actually is in agreement more than in disagreement. But I was thinking about how this and cognitive entrenchment are actually essential to one another. Um, because we said in cognitive entrenchment, we can't have constantly, you can't be so all over the place um, with your different ideas that you have no stability. And so flywheel speaks to stability, but the cognitive, you you know, um, not having cognitive entrenchment, having more flexibility allows you to keep the flywheel from being a doom. Well, maybe not a doom loop, but a, a negative to become outdated or to become, you know, and that's where descent, which we talked about allows you to come in and say, you know what? Last year, last month, last decade, that was those pieces of the flywheel made it run great, but it's really slowing down because we missed these windows, these off ramps that we should have gotten off on. And we need to, we need to reconstruct this before, you know, it gets too late. Yeah. And like you just said, maybe descent, maybe differential learning, maybe autonomy, maybe cognitive entrenchment, anti-cognitive entrenchment, maybe those are pieces of the flywheel that are purposely in a system to promote the next step, which is learning, which is growth, which is whatever. 
maybe these are just pieces of a flywheel that make it work, right? Like it doesn't have like the the flywheel concept is almost like bigger than any one of the things that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could see these things as being almost like a uh, something that goes that is around it that protects it from uh, going too far or uh, becoming self-destructive. Right. Because like, let's say in our environment, right. If differential learning is at the top, let's just pick one, that variation, that autonomy, that self-awareness and self-organization might lead to an athlete or an individual learning something to a deeper and greater level. That learning promotes them to want to explore new things, exploring new things promotes you know, I'm just trying to, I'm just kind of rattling now, but it's like it all will lead back yeah. to more differential learning in a new concept, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think you do a great job of always asking that question of how far is too far. And I think that's where the, uh, I think that's where you, you naturally have built in kind of this protective system or this uh, um, calibration system maybe that continues to take something that works really well and giving it enough um, outside information to let to to be aware when something's not right well guys thanks for sticking with us I know that was a longer episode than normal but hopefully it sparked some thinking about how you can make what you do more efficient and help you create an unstoppable momentum machine. Speaking of momentum, we're going to do the unthinkable and press pause on this project just as we're getting going. Both Travis and I are getting into basketball season. Literally, we both play our first game this week, and we want to make sure we dedicate ourselves to bringing you guys quality and thought-provoking content. But don't worry, we already have a few ideas up our sleeves for the next season of Ride the Gray. Stay tuned. We will be announcing that shortly on our social media. In the meantime, please continue reaching out to us and let us know who and what you'd want to hear about in the new year. Until then, find a way to ride the gray.